And I genuinely believe that neuroscience and behavioral science can be used to supercharge player and team performance in the same way we've seen sports science transform fitness. That was Tougher Minds founder, Dr. John Finn. And we'll be speaking to him for this podcast about the science of leadership and how to use cutting edge brain and habit science to create a winning team. This podcast's being recorded for the League Managers Association Institute of Leadership and High Performance. I'm Andrew Whitelam. Welcome along. We'll be hearing from Dr. John Finn about why habit and brain science are the next game changers in professional football. What stops most teams fulfilling their potential? Why developing leaders must be given as much importance as physical training? And how managers can get more out of their teams by using leadership science via Tougher Minds' simple and practical team power leadership framework and five-stage team power model. But we begin the discussion with Dr. John Finn by considering some very recent comments by a high-profile and influential figure in world football. Hello there, John, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Andrew. It was, in fact, the former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger who was giving an interview in 2020, and he was asked what football's next big game-changer would be. He responded by saying the next game-changer is neuroscience. And he went on to explain how, in his view, everyone in world football had done everything they could to improve physical preparation of players. But more focus on neuroscience and optimising mental preparation could unlock more performance gains and advancements. It's fair to say that these comments by Arsene Wenger were ideas you recognised immediately, John, because showing the potential massive positive impact of neuroscience and teaching people how their brain works has been a major part of your work in business, education and elite sport for some years. In fact, you've worked in professional football, cricket, with the PGA in golf, and you and I met when we were both working with the England Rugby League team in the 2008 World Cup. So please tell us more about that and your work in football, if you would. Yeah, thanks for that introduction, Andrew. I've worked in this exciting area of performance psychology for over 20 years. I've got three degrees in in this area, including a PhD. And my work has mainly been in elite sport and elite business in the UK and the USA. And I first began working in professional football back in 2005 with Brian Laws at Scunthorpe United. And then I stayed on uh, when Nigel Adkins took over as manager. And it was in Nigel's first season that we won the league against the odds. And it really was against the odds. Nobody expected us to do that. And we were really interested in how we'd been able to to achieve such fantastic results. And actually, we got the the famous uh, sports statistician, Professor Bill Gerrard, to analyse our data from that season. And it turned out we'd actually broke a, a record in the UK for, for acquiring the most league points on the smallest budget. And we'd spent around 58% less on player wages than our direct competitors, that is the teams that, that finished second and third in the league. And we've been able to acquire league points about 60% more cheaply than our direct competitors as well. So I got, I wanted to learn more about how we'd done that. And I started a PhD to do that. My PhD was really built on the premise that fulfilling your potential is not an art is definitely a science and I wanted to learn more about how players and teams could consistently fill their fulfill their potential and really how I could help managers to help their teams to do that so within my PhD I wanted to learn you know more about how can you help people to fulfill their potential individually and collectively using neuroscience, using behavioural science, using psychology uh, and and collectively using what, what we now call leadership science. Well, thank you, John. That's fantastic context and background. The first thing I want to ask you then is what are the principal ideas and insights from neuroscience that are most useful for us to understand and apply in football? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because just knowing 
um, how to label the brain isn't going to be that helpful. So, th- so my work over the last 20 years has always been about taking the science and making it as simple and practical for people to use in everyday life as possible. You know, so that's my job. And I genuinely believe that neuroscience and behavioral science can be used to supercharge player and team performance in the same way we've seen sports science transform fitness. That is coming if, if we use this science properly. But, but what, what do we need to know from that science that's going to be useful for us to help ourselves and our, and our players? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that and we've, we, we understand this from big sets of compelling data, is that most of what we're doing most of the time is mindless behavior. So we would say at least 98% of all our thoughts and actions are mindless, whether that's technical, tactical, physical, uh, mental performance, leadership performance. So most of what we do most of the time is a habit. Habits are automatic or or semi-automatic thoughts and and behaviours. And we can really think as habits as the engines that our players and our teams run on. So habits are driving everything our players and our teams are doing all of the time. So they are the foundation of everything that's going on in our players' lives, in training, you know, in on match days in performance. And habits are driven, broadly speaking, by the limbic regions of the brain. And to quickly understand our brain, we can all make a, a mini a model of our brain. And we can do that using our hand. So if you put your left or your right hand flat, as if you're saying hi to somebody. And if you put your thumb into the palm of your hand, so like across the palm of your hand, and if you wrap your fingers around your thumb, this is like a mini model of your brain. And the thumb in the middle represents the limbic regions. And this part of the brain, and it's the dominant part of the brain, running most of what we're doing most of the time, its main interest is survival. Homo sapiens, that is human beings, are fairly good at survival. We've, we've been on the planet now for over 300,000 years and, and we dominate the planet. And that's all because of this area of our brain. And we can think about this area of our brain being interested in three broad things. Number one is it's interested in staying alive. Number two, it's interested in how we're perceived by important people in our lives. So think about social status. And number three, it's interested in energy and saving energy. So our brain likes to do things as cheaply as possible. And it turns out that habits are really energy efficient ways of doing things. And that's why it tries to turn everything into a habit. So we call this the alive perceived energy brain or for short we call it the ape brain the ape brain and what we need to understand is that there are survival habits that are very instinctive for this part of the brain and those survival habits are all about staying alive how we're perceived and saving energy thus instinctive survival habits get in the way of us being being at our best, of us pushing ourselves, of us performing under pressure. It's habits like procrastination, giving up easily, giving into temptation, beating ourselves and worrying too much. It's those types of habits that make it difficult for players to turn up every day and be at their best and, and to do what they need to do to improve themselves technically, tactically, uh, fitness-wise, mentally-wise. And it's also the same habits that get in the way of the players going into the arena and really performing as well as they can under pressure on game days. So these habits, they get in the way. And what we need to understand is that our brain is not fixed. It's soft-wired, if you like. Our brain is made up of about 100 billion neurons, and they're like plasticine. And... The more we practice something, the more of these wires get dedicated to that thing. So if I practice uh, worrying a lot and beating myself up a lot, 
I'll get really good at that. If I practice missing uh, easy opportunities in front of goal, I'll get better at that. If I practice performing well under pressure equally, I'll get better at that. So we're not fixed. Our brain is changing all the time via a process called neuroplasticity. And we get good at what we practice. What we need to understand is that these survival habits, the habits that get in the way of us turning up for work every day and pushing ourselves to be our best, and the habits that get in the way of us performing under pressure when we need to, that we're starting to recognize that these types of habits are the biggest waste of resources for any one individual in any 24-hour period. And therefore, they're also the biggest waste of resources for a team. So ultimately, teams are made up of individuals. These, these habits are largely invisible to us because they're so mindless, we don't really see them. That's why they're so problematic. And what's really important to understand is that it's unhelpful habits that are the root cause of all the technical, tactical, fitness, performing under pressure problems that your team is experienced or experiencing or has experienced in the past or will experience in the future. And these habits, these unhelpful habits are the root cause of the lifestyle problems your players face, gambling, alcohol, not living right. They're the root cause of the, of the training problems your players face, not pushing themselves hard enough or not, not pushing people around them hard enough. And also they're the, they're the root cause of our teams not consistently fulfilling their potential in the arena when they need to under pressure. So habits have a lot to answer for in terms of individuals and teams fulfilling their potential. And when we talk about neuroscience and behavioral science and psychology, it's, it's habits that are the most important thing to pay attention to. If you want to fulfill your potential or help other people fulfill their potential so you can feel great and get the rewards and respect you deserve, then I want to give you a free physical copy of my new best-selling book because you deserve to know the truth. The most important things for fulfilling your potential are not tips, tricks, hacks, therapy, coaching, meditation, breathwork, goal setting, journaling or finding your why. I know it sounds irrational because we're so used to hearing about using these things to help us fulfill our potential. But these approaches are outdated and ineffective and they are based on a big lie. To find out more and get your free physical copy of Dr. John Finn's best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, go to tougherminds.co.uk. Well, wow, that insight that habits play such a pivotal role and are so central will perhaps be a surprise to many, John. So I suppose the next question is then, what can managers, assistant managers and coaches do to help their players develop helpful habits? Yeah, and that, that, that's obviously the most important thing to understand. And, and I want to start here by saying that leaders can use leadership science in the same way that fitness coaches have used sports science and physiology to improve performance. And when I say leadership science, I'm, I'm talking really about a combination of neuroscience, behavioral science and psychology. And we can use leadership science to turn leaders into what we call habit mechanics. So we become experts at helping our players and our team to build habits that are going to help them to achieve the, the team's goals. You know, leadership science will supercharge both your man management and your team's performance. It will help managers to be more efficient and effective in getting their players and teams what they want them to do in order to win more games of football. It will help managers to help their players and team develop the habits they need in order to win. Again, in the same way that sports science has allowed fitness coaches 
to be more efficient and effective in developing player fitness. So I suppose what are the mechanics of building better habits and, and to understand this and, and, and what are the mechanics of helping other people to build better habits? To understand this, we need to go back to the brain. And, and we built a, lit, a mini brain model in our hand and the thumb in the middle we said was the eight brain. The little finger in your hand model is, is representing the pre frontal cortex now this is the part of the brain that runs from behind the eyes all the way to the top of the forehead and we imagine that a little character called a Wilhelmina power or her willpower you can decide which one it is for you runs this part of the brain and we can use willpower to help us to manage the eight brain and the first thing that we can use willpower to do is to help us to analyze our habits to analyze the habits that are helping us achieve our goals and recognize them, and give ourselves a pat on the back for them, but also to analyze the habits that are getting in the way of us achieving our goals, the, the unhelpful habits. And we can use our willpower to help us to rewire those 100 billion neurons and help us to develop more helpful habits. And if we individually and collectively just keep building more and more helpful habits, that's how we achieve uh, winning teams. That's how we achieve consistent levels of high performance. And, and what leaders can do is they can use leadership science to create environments that make it as easy as possible for their players and team to develop the lifestyle, training and performance habits that allow them to consistently perform to their potential. And it's the role of the leaders in your team to create this environment that makes it as easy as possible for people to build more helpful habits. But I must say that leadership does not only, only fall on the manager. We need to proactively recruit leaders, but more importantly, we need to proactively develop leaders. And, and we need to develop leaders in the same way that we develop technical tactical fitness and mental aspects of perform of performance in our players so that we're, we're continually developing more and more leaders um, in our in our player group and what we're trying to do is pack our teams full of habit mechanics and that's going to make it easier for everybody to be at their best more often and, and later on in the, in the podcast, I'm going to talk more about how managers uh, can develop their own and their team's leadership abilities. And I'm, I'm going to introduce uh, the Tougher Minds Simple and Practical Team Power Leadership Framework and also our five-stage team power model. Okay, John. Well, if we step away from football for a moment, I know that you believe there's an elite sports team we can analyse here and see happening what you've described in real time almost, and hence understand how they've successfully risen to the challenge of constant adaptation and improvement. And that team is in the world of rugby union and it's the New Zealand All Blacks. And we can start by considering some comments from their 1987 World Cup winning captain David Kirk. He also went on to win a scholarship at Oxford University. And David Kirk points out that the All Blacks' adaptation to whatever's put in front of them is New Zealand rugby's greatest asset. And that's the ability to keep redefining the game of rugby, shaking off isolated poor performances and quickly righting wrongs that befall them along the way. David Kirk was speaking to the sports website ESPN when he said, I think the New Zealand system, if you like, is directed towards solving rugby problems, like having a better scrum or what you do in the line-out. He added, there are other ways of doing things. For instance, how do you deal with rush defences? New Zealand is a sort of rugby problem-solving machine, and however problems are solved, they get dispersed very quickly. It's all very well to solve a problem and to change a style of play, but you've got to practice it and do it over and over again to make it good. And I think New Zealand is good at that at all levels. 
So that's David Kirk's opinion. Here are some more statistics about the All Blacks. Although their current form's not perfect, their winning percentage from 1903 to 2019 is nearly 80%. And from 2011 to 2015, we saw one of the great All Black teams of all time, where their winning percentage was closer to 95% and they won back-to-back Rugby World Cups. So the All Blacks are widely regarded then as the ultimate sports team. And fortunately for us, their winning methods are extremely well documented in the media and elsewhere publicly, so we can gain a good sense of how they achieve this success. So John, how are the All Blacks able to consistently be one of the highest performing sports teams on the planet? If only we knew the answer, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a great question. And and as you say, we, we get this sort of continual flow of information about what the All Blacks do. I think it's important to say that certainly the way that I see it and from some of the insights you shared that it seems like the All Blacks aim is, is, is to consistently put a team on the field that is excellent at independently understanding how to break down the opposition defence so they can score points and equally excellent at uh, breaking up the opposition's attack. And it's very well documented that the coaches want the the players to take as much responsibility for that as possible. So when we when we talk about problem solving, I think that's what they're referring to is that they can break up um, attacks and break down defenses. I think to really understand why the All Blacks are successful and actually why they've been less successful in recent years, we need some kind of uh, framework to 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 guide our thinking. And I think there are three drivers of a high-performing team that will be helpful to understand in order to, to, to help us understand more about the All Blacks' success and, and failure. The first thing that needs to be in place for a team to be high-performing is it needs to have big, meaning, meaningful goals to work towards. You know, what's the purpose? What's the strategy? What's the priorities right now? And it seems very clear that the the All Blacks' big goals are to be the the number one team in the world and also for every individual to be a great All Black. The second driver that needs to be in place, I would say, is what we call me power conditioning. This is about each individual team member continually striving to get better. So... A good statement to summarize that is I choose to prepare to bring my best self to work so that I can develop myself technically, tactically, physically, psychologically, and and hopefully also as a leader as well, as we increasingly understand the importance of that. And the third factor is what we call team power. So this is about each individual team member continually striving to help the team achieve its goals. And we can summarize that in a statement like, we choose to work together and bring the best out of each other in difficult situations. So we've got big goals, um, me power conditioning and, and team power. So we, we can use that, that, that insight to help us to understand the All Black success and, and also fairly because what we've, seen with the All Blacks since around maybe 2009, 2010, and and that team that ultimately won the the 2011 World Cup, and then much of the same team went on to win the World Cup again in 2015. We've seen one of the best All Black teams ever, if not the best. You know, they had a winning ratio of about 95% during that period. They were almost unbeatable. And then what we've seen post-World Cup uh, win of 2015, when a lot of the senior uh, leaders uh, retired, was a a much less successful team. If we think about the success and what made them successful, I really like uh, Steve Hansen quote that he gave to a a British newspaper. Steve, Steve Hansen is the former coach, is that right, John? Steve Hansen is, is, is the former coach and he's touted by many as, as the greatest all-black coach of all time. Yeah. 
and he was asked about what's the secret of your success. And one of the things he said, this is a verbatim quote, is if you think you've arrived, you probably have, and it'll be the end of the destination. If you keep striving to get better, then you're going to search for ways to do that. And I think that's a great summary of those three big areas. S Steve always talks about being a great All Black. So that's the goal for the players, being the number one team. In order to get there, they need to keep doing me power conditioning to develop themselves individually, but they also need to do team power as well. That is supporting everyone else in the team to get better. So that's what he expects of his players. And then what was really interesting, after uh, they'd won the second World Cup in 2015, the Amazon did a, a fly-in-the-wall documentary as part of the the All or Nothing series, which you might be familiar with. And within this documentary, you know, showing the All Blacks not doing, not performing as well and not getting the results that, that they're used to getting, or that, in fact, we're used, we're used to them getting. And in one particular episode, uh, they'd they'd been beaten by by Australia, which is, for the All Blacks is never good, but they were being uh, criticised, particularly of, of being complacent. And within the same episode, it showed the build-up to the Argentina game. And Steve Hansen had specifically asked his, his players to do some video analysis work, if you like, to, to prepare them the, to play Argentina on the Saturday. And it, and it shows a, a team meeting on the Thursday where Steve Hansen asks his players to stand up if they've completed that individual video analysis work. Surprisingly, only three out of the 25 All Blacks actually stand up to say that they've, you know, they've done the work, they've viewed the clips. You know, and this was deemed as not a nice to have, it was deemed as a vital part of their preparation, building up to the Argentina game after a poor performance to Australia. Obviously, Steve Hansen isn't very happy about this. And he, he responds by challenging the squad to consider and improve their daily and weekly habits. So, you know, Steve Hansen has some insight here. This is about the habits because he gets that that is driving behaviour. And he says verbatim to, to, the, to the team in the meeting, what I need you to do if you want to be a great All Black is have a look at your habits from Sunday to Friday. And he says, Saturday, match day, is just the fun part. And he goes on to say, every time you look in the mirror, you ask that man, am I doing what I need to be doing? It's not about the talk, boys. It's about what you do. And I think a bit like my um, experiences at Scunthorpe many years ago where we had this fantastic record-breaking season, league-winning season, and the season after, you know, we just weren't as consistent in, in our performance. You know, we were all deeply disappointed at the end of the season. And I think we felt we'd, we kind of failed, but we all learned so much from that experience because when you're able to put uh, such high performance, consistent performance, right next to performance that isn't as good. I think that's when you learn the most. And th that's why this uh, juxtaposition of the All Blacks performance is so interesting. But what I think is really interesting is I I, I hear the All Blacks, you know, in the, in the narrative that comes out of what the All Blacks do, they talk an awful lot about uh, mental skills training. I don't hear them talking about neuroscience or behavioral science or leadership science. And I don't think they have a good as understanding of that area as they do um, from, from mental skills training. And I just wonder if, if they'd had a better understanding of leadership science, if they'd have been able to navigate the transition of developing their next group of leaders more efficiently and effectively. Because essentially that's the problem that Steve Hansen is pointing towards in that group is that there's not enough really good leaders 
to actually influence the behavior of the group. I think that even the best teams in the world are not capitalizing on uh, leadership science in the way that they could and are therefore not getting the, the performance advantages that this offers. Well, John, more amazing insights there for us. So I suppose we would then ask, how can football leaders, managers, coaches, assistant coaches, how can they use these insights in their own football environments in order to develop high-performing players and teams? I suspect it's not just as simple as replicating or slavishly copying what the All Blacks do. Yes, exactly. You know, there, there's so many books out there about what other people do. And, you know, I, I genuinely do feel the best coaches and, and the best managers, they, they, they do understand that copying, for example, what Steve Hansen did with the All Blacks is a little bit like watching him fix his car engine. You know, and imagining that this will, will will give you enough knowledge to fix your own car engine when it breaks down. You know, I know the, the best managing coaches know that isn't enough just to copy and model other people. And I also feel that it's it's the best managers and, and coaches that will pioneer the use of neuroscience and behavioral science, or in our simpler language, leadership science, to help their teams to gain a competitive advantage. And I think it's really, if we're going to capitalize on this science, it's really important to understand, and, it, and, and if we're using the metaphor of an engine, that the engines that, that run your teams are your players' habits, are your coaches' habits, are your backroom staff's habits. So in order to become experts at consistently creating winning teams, leaders need to understand how brains and habits work, and more importantly, how to use those insights to create a culture that consistently helps the team, individually and collectively, to develop better habits for on-field success. And that is why leadership science is so important. So because we now understand that our brains and our behaviour, or as you point out to us, our habits are so pivotal and so central, what can managers, assistant managers, coaches, and as you now highlight, senior players do to make it easier for their teams to build more helpful habits? How can they optimise their team's collective brain function, if you like? Yeah, I really like that idea of a collective brain because I think it's true. Uh, that's how humans work. They, they do model and copy other other people's behaviour. That's one of the you know, insights we get from behavioural science. So in order to optimise an environment that helps people to build new habits, we have to go back to the neuroscience. Because of the way we're hardwired, certain conditions create a positive relationship between our ape brain and our willpower or between our limbic regions and our prefrontal cortex. And, and those conditions make it easier for people's brains to work properly. And in turn, it makes it easier for people to have what we call a purposeful development mindset. That is a mindset where people want to get better and they're continually working on themselves. So, if we can understand those conditions and how to create them, we can make it much easier for people, our, our team, uh, individually and collectively, to build more helpful habits that help them to be better technically, tactically, physically, psychologically, and ultimately help them to win more football games because they're better able to perform consistently under pressure. And we can use insights from neuroscience and behavioral science and psychology to, to guide our understanding here. And in order to create this positive relationship between the eight brain and willpower, there are probably three rules that, that are good to understand, three sort of foundational ideas that we need to get right if we want people's brains to work properly. So I'll go through those three areas. The first area is, is what we call building psychological safety this means that people in your team if their brain is going to work properly 
they need to feel safe, like you like them, like you care about them, like you've got their best interests at heart, that you want them to get better. If when we don't feel safe, our eight brain quickly takes over and we just focusing on the worry and the threat and the problem all of the time. And that makes it really difficult for us to do the kind of things we need to do to develop ourselves. The second area is what we, we're going to call uh, sharing vulnerability. So if we want players to get better and improve themselves, that means they need to admit and be comfortable with admitting that they're not the finished product, that they can get better. And that's much more likely to happen if the leaders in the group, the senior people in the group, are also saying that. They're also saying that they are working on themselves, that they are getting better. And you know, I've been privileged to work with some of the, the top well, people who are, who are deemed as world-class leaders in professional sport. Uh, one comes to mind right now is uh, a guy called Jamie Peacock, who was the only player, in fact, to win the treble at two different teams. He won the treble at Bradford Bulls and also at Leeds Rhinos. I worked with him when he was the England uh, rugby league captain. You know, and on day one, uh, JP turns up, and I think that season he he was player of the year in the entire world, but still turns up wanting to learn how to get better and and how to develop himself as a better leader. You know, and sharing vulnerability might sound quite scary. So if you don't feel comfortable doing it with your players right now, just start doing it with with your staff. And it isn't about saying you're not good at anything. We need to reinforce our, our the, the things that we're good at, our competencies. But now and again, you know, it's okay to admit that we are working on ourselves and we are getting better. So we build build psychological safety. We share vulnerability. But then what we need to do is we need to what we might say establish purpose. We need to sh- we need to show people what are our goals. What do we want to achieve together? What do we need to get better at individually and collectively so that people have a purpose and they have clear goals, clear improvement goals to work on? So build safe, build psychological safety, we share vulnerability, we establish purpose. They're the core foundations, I think, of building a, a culture and environment that makes it easier for brains to work properly. And the important thing to point out here is that everybody in your team has a leadership responsibility it isn't just about the named leaders it isn't just about the senior people everybody has a leadership responsibility okay then so because this responsibility doesn't just fall on one person explain to us please how it works that everyone in any team can have a leadership responsibility how does that actually look in a practical sense john well, to understand this insight, we need to understand what leadership is. And leadership's all about influencing other people's behaviour. So leadership science is all about the science of influencing other people's behaviour. And everybody in your team, whenever they say something or they do something, they influence other people's behaviour. So therefore, everyone has a leadership responsibility. And that is why developing leaders must be given as much importance as physical training because we need everyone in the team to become a better leader in the same way that we need everyone in the team to be to get better technically, tactically, physically, psychologically. We need everyone to become a better leader. So to make it easier for managers to use leadership science to develop themselves as leaders, to create more leaders in their team. And in turn, that makes it as easy as possible for their players' brains to work properly, individually and collectively. We've used uh, insights from neuroscience, behavioral science, psychology, or in other words, leadership science to develop our team power leadership framework and our uh, five-stage team power model. Okay, then let's... Consider each of those then, John, if we can. As you say, you've created them both using 
cutting-edge insights from neuroscience, the leadership framework and the team power model. We'll take each of them in turn. If we can start then with the leadership framework, please explain more about that to us. Yeah, and I must say that these are tried and tested models now. We've we've been using them in elite businesses for for a number for a number of years, and and more more recently in sport. And they are really powerful models. So the team power leadership model breaks leadership into four core areas. And what we're essentially doing is helping leaders using this model. We're helping leaders to understand how their brain works. And in specifically, we're helping them to analyze their leadership habits so that they can recognize their strengths as leaders across these four areas, but also recognize the areas that they can improve. And then we show them simple and practical things they can do to become even, even better leaders. And so the four areas are, number one is the role model. So it's almost like as a leader, you wear four different hats and as the C, what you want the senior leaders in the in the team to be doing is getting as competent wearing each of the hats uh, as possible for your junior members of your of your team you know they don't need to be excellent at all four of these areas but you definitely want them to be excellent at some of the areas which I will point out as we go through so the first area is the role model this is about what other people see you doing so for example you know if you you're telling everyone it's really important to turn up um for meetings on time but you keep being late you're not being a good role model maybe if you are emphasizing the importance of emotional control to your players and maybe you're not doing that particularly well maybe you're not being a good role model the role model area is one that everyone in your team can get better at all the way down to the academy players because everyone can do this better and have has a responsibility for modeling the right behaviors you know in that all black example we saw most of the people weren't modeling the right behavior of of um you know watching the video clips so that was problematic so we want everyone to be better role models the second area is what we call the action communicator this is about communicating with people in a way that gets them to take positive action and again this is something that everybody should be expected to get better at because everybody communicates to each other every single day and and everyone can do that better everyone can get better at communicating with people that has a more positive influence on their behavior you know and there's a science to that and and this framework shows you how to analyze your habits so that you can get better in that area the third area is what we call the swap coach this is about the one to one uh, interactions that we have with our players and our staff and other people and one to one coaching like all coaching is about changing people's behavior and there's a science to this that we can use to become even more efficient and effective in that area and that this model shows you how to do that and then finally we have the cultural architect uh, this part of the framework is about setting up the environment setting up the big goals helping people to understand the priorities helping people to understand how their roles and responsibilities plug into the immediate priorities and what their job is in helping the team achieve its goals and it's about doing that in a really empowering way you know and it's probably only going to be one cultural architect uh in your group and that that's going to be the manager so there are four core areas here that we can use to guide our developing ourselves as leaders but also developing others as leaders not everybody needs to be able to do everything but certainly we want everyone to be working towards being a better role model and a better action communicator and we want the senior leaders in our team to be getting better all of those areas and if in the workshop in the LMA uh, workshop that we're running on January the 27th uh, we'll talk very specifically about how to analyze ourselves in these areas and how to simply and practically improve it improve uh, these areas in a sort of football context yes and that 
application in a day-to-day football situation will, I'm sure, be extremely valuable, John. Uh, Please talk to us then about the team power model, if you would. So the team power model and and the leadership framework, they work as one. But just to explain the team power model by itself, the metaphor here is we're climbing a mountain together and we start at the bottom of the mountain and we work towards the top. And there are five stages that we think are really important and five stages that high-performing teams work through and, and use in order to get to the top of the mountain and win ultimately because that's what that's what we want to do as a high-performing team. So the first stage is what we call me power conditioning, and I've already explained a little bit about that. So that's about everyone deliberately choosing to work towards being at their best. And if we're going to have a high-performing team that can perform consistently, you know, me power conditioning really is the cornerstone of that. And that's about everyone building small, new, helpful habits. The second stage is what we call the community base camp. This is where before we set off on our journey to climb the mountain, we agree on our big goals, we agree on the strategy, we agree on our priority, we agree on individuals' roles and responsibilities, and, and, and how each individual is going to contribute towards the team achieving success. And this is very much connected to the cultural architect piece of the, of the leadership framework I just went, th- just went through. Stage three in the team power model is what we call group climbing support. So this is about the day-to-day grind of working hard, working efficiently and effectively, and supporting each other. And this is very much connected to modeling the right behaviors every day, uh, being an action communicator every day. And it's about developing the habits that allow us to do those things really well so that it's easier for people every day to be working on themselves and to be building better habits and to be ultimately helping the team achieve its goals. Stage four is what we call a campfire discussion. This is about the one-to-one coaching people where we work with individuals uh, one-to-one, where we help them to grow, to improve, help them to get better at delivering results for the team. This could be a senior player helping a junior player, could be the manager working with the senior player or a member of their staff or, or a junior player. And it's just reinforcing the importance of those one-to-one coaching interactions. And in the most successful teams, we get peer-to-peer coaching going on right the way through the team. It's not just about the managers and the coaches coaching. You know, Everyone's doing that. Everyone's helping each other. And then the fifth stage is what we call the group climbing review. So we, we set off on our journey together with the best intentions of the goals we're working towards uh, and the immediate priorities. But, you know, things change. People get injured. We bring new players into the building. We might go on an unexpected positive uh, run of results or we might go on an unexpected negative run of results. So periodically, we have to do the group climbing review just to check back in collectively, to step back and reflect and adjust our priorities. And the opposite to the group climbing review is people you know, being negative, people being energy sappers, people... Uh, not saying what they think to people in in, a, in an honest way. So we need to have these uh, group climbing reviews to keep us collectively on track. And how often you have them depends on the team, really. And ultimately, we can use this framework to measure our team performance against. So there'll be areas in the model where you're really strong, might be thinking you know we do great group climbing reviews but there'll be areas where you also need to improve so like any framework this model is really useful to measure ourselves against and to give us a tool that we can consistently keep measuring ourselves against you know to give out to give our team the best chance of of fulfilling its potential and again john you'll be explaining so much more about how leaders can apply these things in day-to-day football situations, which I'm sure will be extremely valuable. 
John, we've talked about so much in this podcast in such depth. Please give us a summary of the concepts, the ideas and everything we've discussed so far. Yeah, I think that leadership, all all the science shows is that leadership is not an art. It is a science. And we need to prioritise leadership development like we've been prioritising physical training. And I strongly believe that in the same way that Arsene Wenger was able to reap huge rewards from being an early adapter of sports science, those who are early adopters of leadership science will reap the same rewards. And I I don't want managers to worry too much about the neuroscience and the behavioral science and the psychology here. That's my job. It's my job to make it as easy as possible for football managers to put these ideas into practice every single day. And we'll start that journey in the LMA workshop. And I'm sure that I will continue that journey with with some managers one-to-one. It's my job to help you to help your players and your team perform more consistently and win more games. And when we harness the power of neuroscience, behavioral science, psychology, what we call leadership science, that's going to give us a huge competitive advantage because nobody at the moment is, is really using these ideas to their full potential. Well, this podcast has given us an overview of some of the big ideas you'll be presenting when you deliver to people taking part in the League Managers Association workshop. But there are also some further opportunities for people to learn more that are already available. Please tell us about those, John. Yes, so we're giving um, all LMA members free access to our Tougher Minds Foundation course for leaders. And I believe there's a link uh, to that course in the description area of this podcast and the LMA have also sent that link around as well. So please do take advantage of that course. You know, the more you know about the foundations of, of, of how the brains work, etc., going into the workshop, the more you're going to get out of it. Um, so this podcast is, is, is great for that, but also the course will extend that learning. The course is really easy to digest. It's just a series of videos that lasts somewhere between one minute and five minutes and you complete the course in half an hour. So please do take advantage of that. Also, if you go to our website, tougherminds.co.uk, there are other free resources and interesting insights, which I'm sure will be helpful. And then, you know, if you do have any questions from the podcast um, or the course before we do the workshop, then please do get in touch. You can do that via our website or I'm happy if you send me a direct email. Uh, My direct email address is John Finn, which is J-O-N-F-I-N-N at tougherminds.co.uk. So please do get in touch if you have any questions. Well, thank you, John, and thank you for talking to us for this podcast for the League Managers Association about the science of leadership and how to use cutting-edge brain and habit science to create a winning team. Thanks once again, and thanks to you for listening.